<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. And welcome, everybody, to the Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. Gotta love the band. Once again, I, I know I'm, I'm like fixated and infatuated with this band, this podcast band that I've never met. Uh, who, who knows who these folks are? I don't know if they're in their garage somewhere. Uh, I, I heard Michael Buble at one point was part of the band. Uh, I, I don't know if that's true. Probably not. I'm probably lying. That's good. Uh, let me start lying off the top of the podcast. That's always impressive. That'll build the credibility for sure. Hey, by the way, before we get to today's uh, big controversial, by the way, controversial topic, uh, let me just do another dietary warning for you. Okay. I love peanut butter. Okay. And here's the thing. One scoop. Great. Two scoops. Okay. Three scoops. Eh. Four scoops, a problem. And that's where I went the other day. Four scoops of peanut butter at about 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. And let me just say, uh, Tums, Alka-Seltzer, and a side pillow for the rest of the evening. It was not pretty. I know that has nothing to do with the podcast today, but I had to get it off my chest or off my stomach, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and so that is that. All right. Uh, more importantly, and, and much more controversial, uh, is this week's U.S. Supreme Court ruling that protected LGBT rights in the workplace. The justices ruled 6-3, that's right, not 5-4, 6-3, that federal employment law does safeguard gay and transgender employees from discrimination. And so we're going to have a conversation about that today. We'll get both sides. Hey, we are just the news. We do the news on both sides of the aisle. We try to give it to you. We do give it to you straight, but we try to always present both sides and do it from a factual standpoint. That's what Just the News is all about. So uh, we're going to get to our guests in, in just a moment. But some questions clearly abound uh, about this ruling. First of all, what is the next major legal fight going to look like? I mean, basically, will the Supreme Court expand the ability of individuals and businesses and organizations to cite religious beliefs uh, when contesting government actions? Uh, so remember here, employers can still mount this religion-based exemption defense, and they can do it under a 1993 federal law. It's called the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And remember, the Supreme Court did not decide uh, anything as it relates to those exemptions. For, as a matter of fact, Justice Neil Gorsuch wrote, quote, how these doctrines protecting religious liberty interact with Title VII, which is the section of the civil rights law, uh, that was at issue, are questions for future cases. So it looks like we're entering this phase where the Supreme Court is going to be weighing in on essence, in essence, the scope of religious right exemptions, and that could dilute the impact that we saw from the Supreme Court and their decision this week. Also, here's another question. Uh, Neil Gorsuch, where did that come from? And what does that mean for future controversial decisions on civil rights and gay Americans? I mean, is he the new Anthony Kennedy? at least on social issues. John Roberts was pretty much heading that way. And of course, he was part of that 6-3 decision. But, you know, where did the Gorsuch thing come from? So we'll get into that. 
We're also getting mixed messages from the Supreme Court, right? You had the ruling and, of course, the legalization. Well, first of all, you had the ruling this week on LGBT rights in the workplace. And then you had the legalization of same-sex marriage, as we know, back in 2015. That's on one side. And then, of course, on the other side, on the religious liberty side, you had cases like the Colorado baker who refused uh, to bake a cake based on his Christian beliefs. He didn't want to make a wedding cake for a gay couple. You had the Hobby Lobby case. So we're, we're getting mixed messages from the Supreme Court. There's also an outstanding question about whether this outcome could actually infringe on the ability of religious organizations, for example, hospitals, homeless shelters, schools, to continue to provide services uh, consistent with their religious beliefs. In other words, they may have to shut down, no longer serve their local communities under this type of ruling. We'll talk about that. Also, the, the this decision by the federal court, or excuse me, by the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, is going to basically look at religious liberties and workplace issues uh, when it comes to bathrooms and dress codes. In other words, what is that going to look like exactly? We've heard about transgender bathrooms. Now, I'm not. There are bathroom policies in place at certain organizations, but not all organizations. So, what does that mean for bathrooms and dress codes and all of that? Also, let's remember, Christians do argue that biology is not bigotry, right? And that we could see this issue play out legally now when it comes to transgender employment, athletics, housing, other issues. So we've got a lot more coming down the pipeline, if you will. Um, you know, one of the questions I've always had is, why shouldn't the law respect the conscience rights of those whom the LGBT folks disagree with? In other words, why shouldn't the law permit people of faith to allow them, people of faith, to practice their faith the way they see fit. We'll discuss that too. And, you know, we've heard from decades about the cultural war, right? We've heard that for a long time. Conservative evangelicals see their biblical beliefs under attack and more progressive people of faith uh, clearly like what they see. So what does the future hold when it comes to the culture war? Uh, look, there's a concern as to where all of this might eventually lead because who knows? I mean, the way folks, especially conservative folks at church, uh, see it, private citizens may someday face fines and other penalties for their biblical beliefs. That's how they feel. Um, in other words, if they speak out against homosexuality and transgenderism, is there going to be a fine with that? Churches may eventually lose tax-exempt status. So, you know, all of this is grist for the mill, if you will. And, and finally, I would say this. Is there any middle ground here? I mean, you've got Bible-believing Christians uh, who see this uh, this as religious as a religious liberty issue. In other words, it's a choice between their religious beliefs or closing the doors to care for the vulnerable. I mean, they, they don't feel free to exercise their First Amendment rights to live according to their faith and serve their community. And, and they have sincere beliefs on this. Now, the question then is, how do we pass legislation that ensures that religious individuals and institutions have the freedom to practice their beliefs at the same time, obviously protecting the ability of LGBT Americans to pursue employment, housing, public services, and access to public accommodations. So all of this is, is, is very, very interesting. It's obviously hotly debated, hotly contested. And I want to begin with an interview that I did this week with Rachel Lasser. She's president and CEO of Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Uh, as my mom would say, she's a, sh a smart cookie. Uh, she's a graduate of Harvard University and the University of Chicago Law School, 
wonderful. I was getting into food fights at Ithaca College, and she's there at Harvard and University of Chicago Law School. Uh, anyhow, uh, separate issue. She also serves as a national board member on NARAL, Pro-Choice America, and she has quite the resume. I can go on and on. Uh, by the way, a Reformed Jew. Hey, shout out, Reformed Jew. I'm a Reformed Jew, grew up Jewish, uh, now a Bible-believing evangelical Christian. I know, I'm a enigma wrapped in a riddle. I'm a Dr. Phil issue. Uh, but uh, hey, I got bar mitzvah, she got bat mitzvah. Uh, so you, you got to like that. So a couple of Reformed Jews talking to one another. Does it get any better than that? Well, let's start that conversation with Rachel Lasser. Rachel, thanks so much for joining us here. I really appreciate it. Good to be here. Well, listen, uh, so you're, you're sitting at home or wherever you're at exactly, and this Supreme Court decision comes down, and Neil Gorsuch, of all people, is writing the majority opinion. Uh, what was the reaction, and was it just like a kind of a dumbfounded, wait, Gorsuch, 6-3? I mean, I'm curious as to your take uh, through all of that. You know, it was definitely more of a surprise than not a surprise, and it was a overwhelmingly happy day because this country took a landmark step forward uh, to help everyone be able to live as our true selves in this country and to be treated equally by the government. So it was a wonderful day for our lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender brothers and sisters. And that was my first reaction. And to see Gorsuch write the opinion, Roberts join the opinion. I mean, 6-3 um, with today's court and how divided it is, is a real victory. You know, and that was overwhelmingly something to celebrate. Well, and I wonder, with the 6-3 uh, verdict and this idea that, uh, you're right, we're living in a divided country, does that say pretty much uh, that the train has left the station as it relates to LGBT uh, rights? Uh, we know about gay marriage in 2015, what the Supreme Court did there. I mean, has, it, has this argument been, been won at this point and, and it's time to move on? You know, look at public opinion, right? And I mean, that public opinion sweeps across the nation. It sweeps across religious denominations. Look at younger evangelical Christians, you know, and the change, mm -hmm. the evolution there on LGBTQ equality. I think everyone wants our country to treat everyone equally. Some people talk about it religiously. We're all created in the image of God. Other people talk about it in terms of our American ideals, mm -hmm. that our country is one that uh, ensures freedom and equality for all. So it's a it's a important step forward and one that's been a long time coming. What is your sense about the balancing act that we might see from whether it be the Supreme Court or just in our society today? We have a Supreme Court that has legalized gay marriage. We saw what the Supreme Court did here. Uh, and so there's a lot of positives on that side. On the other hand, uh, the Supreme Court also saying that a Colorado baker can not can refuse to bake a cake for a gay wedding. I mean, we've we've seen and Hobby Lobby and things like that. So so there seems to be I don't want to say they're sending mixed messages, but there does seem to be kind of a yin and a yang to this as to where this middle ground is so everybody can feel comfortable uh, under the law. You know, at Americans United for Separation of Church and State, we fight for religious freedom for all. And what we believe is the only way to guarantee that is to keep religion and government separate, right? That keeps the government out of religion right? And that's really important. And it also makes sure that you as a taxpayer aren't supporting my religion, right? And so it protects everyone's religious freedom. Um, religious freedom means uh, that you have the right to believe whatever you want, to change your belief system throughout your lifetime, and to be treated equally by the government so long as you're not harming other people. 
And I think there's a really important debate happening in our country about whether religious freedom should enable you to do that or not. You know, mm -hmm. and in Americans United, we say, no, that's not true religious freedom because that is religious privilege. That enables some people to impose their religion on others and make others pay the cost for their religion, which is harming the religious freedom of others. So this, this debate between sort of civil rights and religious freedom, in many ways, we believe is a false debate. The two are on the same side, right? Religious freedom is another basic human right, right? That our founders embedded in the First Amendment of our Constitution. And here with this case, I will say that uh, the majority opinion did say we will address the role that religious exemptions play in future cases, right? right? So they sort of left the door open to that. Um, and there are certain cases where religious exemptions are appropriate, right? But there are other cases, and what we would argue here is where harm to others is at stake, where we're not talking about religious freedom, we're talking about religious privilege. Well, that's interesting. And you mentioned there are some cases where religious exemptions are appropriate, not to get in the weeds, not to get in the cases. I mean, if you want to, that's fine. But I, overall, where is that line? I mean, does Americans United have a line or the Supreme Court? What's their line? I mean, I, I just wonder, you know, wh where we're at exactly as to what's an exemption or what qualifies as an exemption and what, what doesn't. Yeah. Oh, if I could only answer that very briefly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that would be impossible. But I will say that, you know, um, someone who uh, wears a hijab and wants to serve on a jury, you know, not having to remove the hijab, even though, you know, you're not supposed to wear a head covering of any sort on jury service, you know, would be an allowable and morally proper religious exemption in our country, you know, but a religious exemption that enables me to cause you harm and to violate a government protection, which, which is really the embodiment of our shared American values, you know, is one that forces my religion on you and one that forces you to bear the cost of my religion, you know, and that impedes mm -hmm. your religious freedom, David. Mm -hmm. And I wanna live in a country, one that is, by the way, a very religiously diverse country like America, where we can all live side by side, secure in the promise of the First Amendment that we can live as our true selves, so long as we're not causing harm to our neighbors. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a debate, obviously, on both sides of the aisle. I, I go to the Colorado Baker, I, but just this idea about how how exactly that would work because folks that, you know, are sincere, that, that, that don't hate LGBT folks, that, you know, love them uh, and, and understand what they're going through or what they're doing or their lifestyle, their decisions. It's not that they, there's anger or frustration or, or hate towards them at all, but at the same time, folks that are, whether it be an individual or a business and they want to rely on their faith to, to make certain decisions from a business perspective, they feel that might be a right taken away from them that they can't practice freely uh, th their religious beliefs uh, in, in American society. You know, there have been lots of examples throughout our history where we haven't always lived up to our ideals, right? And at times, mm -hmm. we've looked for a religious exemption to do that. So, you know, there have been times where people have said, I won't hire a woman because the Bible tells me that women shouldn't go to work outside of the home. Right, mm -hmm. and we've evolved from there and said, well, no, we have 
sex discrimination protections because as a country, mm-hmm. you know, in America, that's not what we believe in. There were times in the Jim Crow era, unfortunately, where, you know, store owners and other employers said, I don't want to hire black and brown people. Why? Because the Bible tells me that we should live segregated, right? And we evolved from there and decided that that was unacceptable. What if we just sort of fast forwarded ahead on the LGBTQ issue and realized that people who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender deserve the exact same protections. They are human. They are made in God's image if you're religious. They deserve the equality that America promises for all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and, and I see what you're saying. I'm wondering about, what about like um, faith-based organizations that are serving the homeless or doing good, uh, you know, just in the community, uh, but they have certain biblical beliefs. Uh, they may be, they may, that's what they're arguing this, they may be forced to close their doors uh, if they can't uh, practice their certain religious beliefs, and that might harm homeless folks, the community, whoever they're serving. What's, what's some of the response to that? Yeah, well, you know, here's the deal. You know, houses of worship have unbelievable numbers of protections, right, in terms of how they can act and denominations and many protections don't apply, right, in those cases. Mm -hmm. But if you are applying to accept government money, right, then you've got to play by the same rules as everybody else. Mm -hmm. Why? Because with my taxpayer dollars, I don't want to fund things that I don't believe in that violate American values, like Mm -hmm. potentially discriminating against black and brown people or discriminating against LGBTQ people, right? Mm -hmm. So the the line that we draw at Americans United is, you know, you're a church, you get to do what you want, but the minute you apply for government money and you want to serve, you know, uh, serve the public with American taxpayer dollars, you got to play by the same rules. Yeah, which kind of goes to your point, which is keep government and church separate. Uh, In order to protect religious freedom for Mm -hmm. all of us. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. So the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, uh, I know there's been a lot of controversy about this. I'm going, trying to go to the future here. I'm assuming we're going to see a lot more lawsuits and people testing this religious exemption. How far can you go, if you will, under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act? Is Is that your, your, a sense of what we're going to see here now, Rachel? You know, we're already witnessing a lot of lawsuits, yeah. um, and I and I wouldn't expect that we wouldn't see more, you know, in the future. And I do think that the court issued a sort of, you know, uh, invitation for a challenge to be brought under a religious exemption um, to this new rule, to this mm-hmm. new ruling. So I do think that, you know, we, we are continuing to see the lawsuits, uh, unfortunately, too many of the religious freedom restoration lawsuits are this kind that's about using religion to cause harm. You know, David, I want to just tell you a really quick story. I got a visit from a group of college students last spring break who were doing sort of a tour of Washington on the religious freedom issue. Mm-hmm. And I said to them, I want to focus group you guys. Uh, what is the first thing that you associate with religious freedom? you know, mm-hmm. hoping to find sort of a buzzword to reach younger people. Mm-hmm. And very sadly, that group said, anti-LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really sad day in our country where we're at risk of redefining religious freedom to mean, you know, treating others in a way that harms them. 
Well, Rachel, yeah, no, I hear you on that. And I got to tell you, I've been very vocal on this from an analytical standpoint to say, uh, I, I believe evangelicals have do, been doing too much of the, uh, you know, pointing the finger and, and not enough of, uh, if not compassion, if not, uh, like, look, we all have some issues, but, you know, let's, let's not just always continue to point, point the finger. And I think it's been detrimental in the discussion. I think that's great, you know, and I mean, I obviously noticed when, you know, Pat Robertson said it wasn't cool, for example, when the, you know, when there was tear gassing of, of protesters in front of the White House who were peacefully protesting, you know, in order for the president to do that photo op in front of St. John's. Um, I just think it's really important that even for the sake of religion, you know, among other things that we are showcasing the loving side of religion, you know, and the side of religion that lifts people up instead of harms people. And I think today there's a lot of confusion around that and that, you know, we're not making friends from a religious perspective if we're using religious freedom in this way. Would you agree, though, you mentioned harm people. I, I know there are a lot of evangelicals that, you know, truly hold these beliefs. They're not trying to harm people. They just want to uh, believe what they believe is the way they see the Bible, the way they see their faith. I mean, can it, can it not be necessarily all one bundle? Can, do you see a difference between not harming people and, and being authentic about how they feel at the same time trying to be compassionate uh, towards people as well? Or you, or you don't think that that can play together? Look, I can't sort of speak to the uh, feelings that people have yeah. towards other people. And I'm sure that um, you know, folks uh, want to, you know, in many, many people want to um, view others as, you know, folks that they respect and, and don't have, hold hatred towards. Um, but at the same time, mm -hmm. there is no doubt that turning away um, a gay couple, you know, from, from your store um, is a real harm to dignity, you know, much like Black people suffered, you know, before uh, the civil rights era when they were turned away from a store, you know, and, the, and that wh while you can potentially go to a store, you know, a couple of miles away and you can't always do that, that there's still real harm that suffered. So I would just distinguish between, you know, whatever motivations people might have and the actual effect of their actions. And I think what the American law does is it says, you're not allowed to actually treat people differently. You can hold on to, no one is going to uh, legislate your views and your beliefs, but when it's time to act, you know, there are certain codes of behavior that we're going to agree to as a country of different people, you know, because that's the country, that is in fact the only glue of the American experiment, right? We're all from so many different places mm -hmm. and backgrounds. The one thing that we share is this sort of new American code of ethics, right? And part of that is in Americans United's view, you know, the importance of religious freedom and the importance of religious freedom for everyone. Again, the right to believe or not as we see fit, so long as we don't cause others harm. Rachel, as we wrap up here, uh, your take on the, and I'll put this in air quotes, the culture war that we're seeing today, because we've heard about the culture war for decades and decades, and everybody, there have been articles written about how we're no longer in the culture war, now we are back in the culture. I don't think we've ever left the culture war, personally, uh, if you will. What, what, what is your sense about where this country is heading from a culture war perspective, exactly? 
I think there are serious growth pains that are happening right now as we advance towards our ideals in America. Mm -hmm. You know, the demographics are changing, you know, at an incredibly rapid rate, David. You know, I'm, I, I'm sure you know this. I'm not sure if everyone listening does. In 2014, America ceased to be a majority white Christian nation. Right. And even if people don't know that statistic, and many people might, it's something that people feel is changing, right? We had our first black president. We had an unprecedented number of women elected to Congress, uh, you know, in, in, mm -hmm. um, in the most recent election. Things are changing and change, even when it's going towards our ideals, can, can make people fearful, right? Because mm -hmm. no, many people don't do well with change. Right. And, I'm, and I do think that we are amidst a sort of culture war as we continue this progress down the path towards freedom and equality. No, it's a, it's a great answer to follow up on that. I think there are a lot of evangelical Christians, as you cite that 2014 survey, uh, that get concerned uh, that this culture is going away uh, from kind of, in a way, kind of pushing the church to the side a little bit, or, or however you want to term it, but just this idea that we're kind of losing that Judeo-Christian, we've heard this before, this Judeo-Christian fabric in the country. And I think that's probably why a lot of evangelicals turned to Trump, who said that he, he was going to fight for them. And, you know, we can have that discussion another day. But the point is, that's a whole nother uh, Dr. Phil uh, <laughs> podcast, by the way. Uh, but anyhow, I'm just wondering to get your take about how evangelicals feel, let's be honest, threatened uh, by the culture that they see around them. I think that's right. You know, I think that there is fear. I think that there's, you know, a feeling of being threatened. I think in many ways it's very human, right? And I think mm -hmm. that we evolve towards our own better angels when we are able to sort of move past that fear and to embrace sort of with love the equality of everyone. And that's sort of what I'm hoping that, you know, we're in a big hiccup you know, and, a, and an important sort of phase of, I'm using mixed metaphors here, growth. <laughs> um, and, and I think that we are also witnessing a very beautiful awakening towards how in certain regards, we, sh we fall very short with, with respect to our ideals as a country, for example, including the racism that turns out to be so thriving and alive and well in America today, and that overwhelmingly people want to do better. And I think mm -hmm. part of doing better is doing better towards our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, right? Because, um, you know, uh, inequality, I, I'm trying to remember, I'm embarrassed to say my favorite MLK Jr. quote, but the point is that we're all tied in this shared garment of destiny and that, you know, uh, your freedom and is is very interwoven with mine, and I think that we really saw that with the COVID nineteen um, pandemic that we've been witnessing, and how folks who are more disadvantaged in our communities are uh, are more prone, based on many circumstances, right, having mm -hmm. to work outside of the home, you know, all these different things are more prone to getting and, and, and pre-existing health conditions based mm -hmm. on some of the, the racism in society and racial inequalities, um, mm -hmm. more prone to getting the pandemic. And of course, when those folks have the pandemic, then everybody is more likely, you know, to be subject to the disease. So I think we're really witnessing, mm -hmm. you know, how connected, how interconnected all of our destinies are. And again, I think LGBTQ people have, you know, been through so much, you know, it started 
over 50 years ago, sort of the, 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 the protests that came out of that community actually led by a lot of transgender black and brown people who were protesting police brutality over 50 years ago and sort of starting that movement. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, here we are today in a place where we're still really pushing towards that, those ideals of racial equality. And frankly, think of Title VII, right, which is what these cases were about, just mm -hmm. to come back to, to, yesterday, to Monday's decision. Mm -hmm. You know, Title VII protects against race discrimination, discrimination based on sex, nat national origin, mm -hmm. religion, right? And so all these things, what our country is saying is all these things are tied together and freedom in our country comes when everybody has freedom, right? And not just some of us, but all of us. Rachel Lasser, president of Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Thank you so much. Great conversation. Really, really informative. Thank you. It's nice to talk with you, David. All right, that is Rachel Lasser here on The Pod's Honest Truth. When we come back, the other side of the equation, we're going to speak to a professor of biblical theology, Denny Burke, who has his own take on what the Supreme Court did this past week. That's next on The Pod's Honest Truth. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And welcome back, everybody, to The Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. We heard from Rachel Lasser in the segment before this. And now, in this segment, we're going to hear from the other side. Of course, Rachel Lasser, more from the progressive side, Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Uh, and now we hear from Denny Burke. Uh, Denny is a professor of biblical studies at Boyce College. He's got a Ph.D. from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's also, uh, he also serves as associate pastor at Kenwood Baptist Church down in Louisville, Kentucky. Or should I say Louisville? I don't know how to say that. I, I don't do a very good Southern accent, FYI. He also edits the Journal for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And so he speaks and writes extensively about gender and sexuality. We figured, hey, let's get Denny on and get his take because we are balanced here at the Pod's Honest Truth. Uh, and we wanted to get both sides. So now, time for a bit of the more conservative Christian side. Here's Denny Burke. Denny, thanks so much for joining me here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, look, this, this decision comes down this week from the Supreme Court about LGBT rights as it relates to civil uh, law. And what, what, is, what was your reaction, especially the fact that it was a 6-3 majority in Neil Gorsuch of all people, is writing the majority opinion. I would think that this has got to be a bit disconcerting. I was surprised. Um, a lot of my friends in the legal field weren't surprised. Um, those who are familiar with his jurisprudence and who understand the difference between textualism and originalism, they see how this could have come about. But I have to say for me and for a ton of um, religious conservatives like myself, it, it was shocking. You know, we had been anticipating that um, Gorsuch on the court would be an advance for religious liberty. It would be an advance for the issues that we care about most. And all of that has been just set back at this point. Um, who, who knows what to expect going forward? But yes, it was, it was absolutely uh, 
shocking to me. I don't know what to make of, uh, of John Roberts either, because when you yeah. think about it, you've got two Republican appointees who sided with the liberal majority. And nobody could have predicted that. And it's, I, I'm stunned. And I know that there are a lot of people who are stunned and they're wondering, this doesn't just change the policy. That's the biggest thing here. It changes the policy of the nation right now in, ter in terms of um, sexual orientation and gender identity laws. I think it signals a realignment politically because single issue voting on the issue of judges has been enormous for social conservatives. And that kind of voting just took a big hit. So I, I don't know what it means. I'm not a, a, a you know, political scientist. That's not my, my area. But I'm, I, I can't see how that doesn't make a difference going forward. You know, I would think that from a religious liberty perspective, uh, clearly there are major concerns here, but at, the, but at the same time, there seemed to be a carve out with Gorsuch at the end there where he basically said this doesn't necessarily affect some of the religious liberty claims that could be brought in terms of religious exemptions. Uh, do you see this as the next wave of, of the fight that we're already seeing, you know, the scope of what a religious exemption can be from something like this? Well, the problem with that is, is that the court has now said that they're basically going to act like a legislature. And the things that should be um, settled in legislatures through laws democratically are now being adjudicated by unelected judges. So mm -hmm. Gorsuch does have that line in there about the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, about the First Amendment, and that these are going to be backstops so that religious freedom isn't eroded. But what he said was, is that these things are going to be adjudicated which means we're going to have to wait for the courts to render more laws for us. They're going to tell us whether or not the Religious Freedom Restoration Act helps us here or not. We don't know yet. Mm -hmm. um, you would think the existence of the law would do it, but now we have to wait for you know, the super legislature, legislators to tell us whether or not it's going to hold. And I'll just say this. Mm -hmm. It's hard to have confidence when you know that the, the Democrats are – seeking to undermine and to change the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And in terms of where the country has gone in, in public opinion on gay marriage and on SOGI laws, that's sexual orientation, gender identity laws, it's been moving towards the progressive side over the years. So there's no guarantee that the Religious Freedom Restoration Act will even stay in place. I think it will in the short term. But I think it could change in the next five to 10 years. So the, the, the decision that came down Monday is enormous. And it short-circuited um, all democratic deliberation about what counts as sex. And now we're just going to be finding out. This, this is the, the, the decision they rendered is like a slow-motion equality act. Mm -hmm. That's what and so this thing is going to be rippling down through the courts and through cases, that precedent's going to affect everything. And so we're just waiting to see how far it's going to go. Denny, it seems like there's some sort of, I mean, let, let me start with this. Is, is there a middle ground at all here? In other words, you know, how do you not discriminate, but at the same time, when I say discriminate, that's, that's the term that obviously the, the left will use. But at the same time, uh, have folks of, of religious belief and religious faith not have their First Amendment rights uh, tarnished? I mean, it seems like, is, is there any sort of middle ground here whatsoever? Well, you know, someone asked me 
probably on Monday or mentioned Monday or, or you or people losing the gay people losing their jobs. I don't want gay people to lose their jobs. That's not really the point. Right. The decision the is much broader than that because it, it, it forces the entire country to recognize sexual orientation and gender identity as protected classes. So it's not just going to stay quarantined to title seven of federal civil rights law. That is going to have implications for all of federal civil rights law, which means it's not just it's not just going to talk, be affecting hiring and firing, although that's important too. You have Christian business owners that are going to be affected by this, but you have to think about colleges, Christian schools. You know, if you um, eventually, if you're a Christian school, you're probably going to have to house your students according to their gender identity which means if you have a daughter and you send her to college, she may end up rooming with a biological male and it will be illegal for the Christian college to allocate housing based on biological sex. They'll have to go by transgender identities. And so these are the kinds of things that are coming down the pike whenever you mandate that everyone in the country has to have a new definition of what sex means, biological sex means. It's no longer male and female, we now have to recognize um, transgender identities. Well, that's interesting you brought that up because if we go back to, oh, I don't know, hmm, the Bible uh, that uh, talks about and has the inerrant word of God obviously in it, uh, it seems like the, the argument here is that biology is not bigotry in essence. Well, yeah, I mean, from time immemorial, everyone has understood, and this is confirmed in scripture, that sex is defined as the body's organization for reproduction. That's what it is. Right. So male, it, it, if you read in Genesis chapter one, God created them male and female, male and female, he created them in his own image. And so it's very clear that male and female in Genesis chapter one are referring to biological realities. And the reason we know that is because God says uh, right there in Genesis 128, 127, 128, be fruitful and multiply. So gender, uh, uh, a person's maleness or femaleness was not a state of mind um, because you don't procreate with your brains, okay? It's, pro it's, it's talking about male and female biblically or it's referring to the body's organization for reproduction. And so, you know, it's not just Christianity that recognizes that. Every culture has recognized that basic distinction between men and women. And now we've got by judicial fiat and insistence that we all ignore that. And of course, it's going to have enormous ramifications. And we've only barely just begun to imagine what those ramifications will be. Mm. Are you concerned about what the future holds, not just in this area, but just overall? I mean, Christians have been talking for a while that, you know, if you start to speak out against homosexuality or LGBT rights in public, who knows if fines could uh, happen? Maybe a church loses their tax-exempt status. I mean, all, all of this I mean, how concerned are you as it relates to the wider culture war here that's been going on? You know, I'm concerned about that. I think Christians have a role to play in the democratic process, and I want Christians to continue in that. I'm also concerned to tell Christians we need to prepare ourselves to be a prophetic minority, and we need to prepare ourselves to follow Christ when it gets difficult, because it's going to get more and more difficult. Um, Jesus prepared us for this. Um, he said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you as well in John 15. So we, we do need to get ready to see what it means to love our neighbors when they don't love us back, um, to serve our neighbors and to care for them 
when there is a transparent hostility towards our faith. So yes, I have a concern about the culture war. I have a, a real, probably a larger concern for Christian discipleship and that Christians be faithful to the word of God, come what may, no matter what the Supreme Court says, no matter what any legislature says, that we are going to believe what Jesus has taught us and we're going to follow him no matter what. I would think that there is a balancing act here, uh, Denny, uh, as it relates to having uh, the compassion and, and the light that we need to show uh, for others, to others who don't believe the way we believe, and at the same time, uh, stay true to the inerrant word of God, to not compromise those beliefs. That, that, that's, a, that's a balancing act. Absolutely. I mean, in Scripture, Ephesians 4.15, it says, speak the truth in love. Um, the scripture does not pit truth against love. It says that they're friends. And what Christians, our responsibility is, is to show the world that that's the case. We never stop speaking the truth and we never stop loving. Uh, we're doing both at the same time, all the time. And we, we love our neighbors best when we speak the truth to them and when we tell them what's best for them. And the fact is, is that this whole reorientation of the culture around a new definition of male and female and around what sexuality is, this is not going to lead people to human flourishing and to, to goodness and blessing. It's leading them away from human flourishing and blessing. And so we're going to have to bear witness to that and be happy, joyful warriors for Christ in the midst of this and bear witness to the truth that God has given us. You know, I want to ask you one last question. Rachel Lasser, the president of Americans United for Separation of Church and State, uh, told me this earlier in the podcast, and she talked about how with religious exemptions, she said, you know, some of these religious exemptions, so to speak, religious exemptions in the past have led to some real harm, and she'll, she'll go to slavery, and she'll talk about, you know, for example, certain things were said in the name of the Bible, in the name of uh, Jesus, uh, that, that were harmful. Uh, to folks. And so that's where, that's where the left sees it. And I'm wondering if you can kind of respond to, to, to some of that. Uh, obviously, slavery and, and, and the Bible taking totally out of context, I get that. But, but they're going to say that and use that as kind of a, hey, we've heard this before, the Bible uh, as an exemption, but that can harm people too. Well, nobody's making the case that as long as you say the Bible tells me so, you can do whatever you want. Uh, nobody's nobody's saying that what we believe in is the first amendment right we have mm -hmm. a, fr a freedom to exercise our religion not just within the church walls but within the public square where that um right comes into conflict with other people's rights you have to there's an obligation legally to choose the least restrictive means possible to um you know restrict that right and so th that's just that's what we're talking about. So nobody's claiming that rights never come into conflict. Of course they do. The question is, what do you do when that happens? Mm -hmm. And so when you, when you think about what's been happening around the country, you know, we, we've basically got a slow motion equality act now from the, the Supreme court of the United States. Mm -hmm. Before that we've had many States around the country that had already adopted laws that had the same effect just for that state. So you remember Baronel Stutzman right. and, Washington State. Well, she had basically an, a kind of an equality act that was written into Washington state law. And she was a, you know, providing flowers. She's a florist. And someone came in and asked for her to provide flowers and design flowers for 
a, a gay wedding. And she said, I can't do that because of my relationship with, with Christ. Well, she got sued. She got sued by the state of Washington and she got sued by the guy who came in and the ACLU representative. Now, here's the thing. Is it really the least restrictive means possible to uphold the state's interest in a person's you know, ability to come in and get flowers? Is it really the least restrictive means possible to force her to participate in a gay wedding against her conscience? It's not. I mean, there are other options for them besides coercing her to, to do this. But that's what these laws do. They coerce religious consciences so that people have to violate their conscience or else be penalized by the government when it's not necessary to do that. And so what we're, we're arguing is, look, that we've got to find a way to coexist. We, we do live in a pluralist society, and we all have to embrace that. But none of us should be trying to get other people to deny their consciences, whether they're religious consciences or, or secular ones. Danny Burke, such a great conversation. I really appreciate all the insight. The prophetic minority, I, I think that says quite a bit about where, where the church is going to be going here in the near future. Yeah. Thanks, Denny. You bet. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That is Denny Burke here on The Pod's Honest Truth. Look, some final comments, if you will, uh, before we get out of here this week. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure out that I've got some pretty traditional biblical beliefs from a personal nature. Uh, I try to be balanced. I try to uh, hear from both sides, obviously. Uh, but from a personal standpoint, yes, I have traditional biblical beliefs. I believe in an inerrant view of the Bible, uh, that God's word is God's word. And uh, so, so, so I think, you know, clearly that, that's important and that must always stand true and never change. Um, however, the, the question really becomes, we don't want to compromise our biblical beliefs. At the same time, we want to be compassionate to people that we disagree with. And I think that's the balance. And, I, and let's be honest, I think some evangelicals have missed the mark. Uh, and, and look, I'll be at the top of the list on that. You know, I'm one of them. Uh, you know, sometimes vitriol and frustration get, get in the way. You want to fight for those biblical beliefs and you know what's in the Bible and you know it's true and you know God is true and you know what God would like and what God would frown upon and all of that. And so you get kind of riled up and what, what ends up happening is we, we miss the compassion mark many times. So the question then becomes, how, how do you balance the, the, the beliefs that you have in the Bible that should not bend, should not change, at all, and at the same time, have compassion for your fellow man, uh, for what they're going through, whether it be LGBT issues, whether it be uh, certain things that you don't necessarily agree with them on. We need to have more compassion for folks. And, and folks, I think overall, what's most important here is we need more prayer. And, and I'll be honest with you, I don't mean just prayer for uh, folks we disagree with. I mean prayer for us. In other words, how we navigate the treacherous waters ahead, because ultimately, 
It's our witness that's very, very important here. You know, how we treat other people is extremely important because if we're trying to attract people to the gospel, that's what Christians want to do, right? Attract people to Jesus. Then we need to think about how we're acting and behaving while at the same time not compromising our biblical beliefs. That's the challenge. That's something to think about. And we'll see you next time on The Pause Honest Truth. Until next time, America.